Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? It's Jason Webb. I am at Vetterstone, located in Mankato and Kasoda, depending on where you're standing. <laughs> so across from me is the man, R.J. Vetter, the CEO, the chairman of Vetterstone. How you doing, Ron? Doing awesome. Thanks for being here. Good. And to his right is Ben Kaus, the president of Vetterstone. How you doing, Ben? Doing really well. Good. And the lovely Melanie is joining me again today as the co-host. How you doing, Melanie? I'm great. How are you, Jason? Well, to be honest, I'm a little uh, awestruck. Good I guess word. would be a good word for yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good word for it. We are not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, sir. Holy cow. This is not another machine shop. No, definitely not. <laughs> Man, when I was walking through that fabrication facility and I turned the corner and I looked down this big, huge tunnel-like building with the 11 and a half foot saw blades cutting massive blocks of limestone, it is like an experience, I would say, similar to the first time you see a, the Rocky Mountains or the first time you see the ocean. It made me feel, I guess a little awestruck, a little overwhelmed. You know you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's amazing. I was telling Ben that I felt like I was in the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the saws were, you know, huge, and we were just tiny compared to that. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, Ron, how would you describe this business? You guys take limestone out of your out of the ground you got a quarry and then you bring it over to the fabrication facility right next door and you cut i see a lot of slabs being cut over there but also very intricate delicate cutting taking place you're making this crazy looking spiral chair over there out of stone so if i don't know if you meet somebody on the street ron and they say hey what do you do <laughs> How do you answer that question? That's oh. a good question. <laughs> that is a really good question. So basically what we do is we have quarries in Minnesota and Alabama. And Minnesota is a surface mine. Alabama is an underground quarry. So we're, we're taking out 15-ton blocks, you know, going down about 16 feet under where the glacier left some material, left a little 16 feet of overburden. We peel that off, get down to the good material, which is anywhere from about 4 feet high to 7 feet high take out blocks that are up to 15 tons, bring that into our plant, bring it into the 11 and a half foot diameter saws, the series of those saws that you saw, and then slab it into whatever thickness we need to give the client, the architect, the homeowner, the business owner, whatever they're looking for in their building. Whether it's a panel like on the Wells Fargo Tower or a, a column with a you know Corinthian capital carved on it for a residence, doing anywhere in between, and really just fulfilling the dream and the vision of that homeowner, the architect, the designer, um, whatever it may be. Now, the stone that you use, though, now you say you go 16 feet down. Let's say if I go up to Alexandria or some, you know, anywhere like that, and I go 16 feet down, will I find the same stone? You won't find the same stone. So we were really fortunate. The glacier came through here, and if you look at Mankato, it's really in a, a river valley. 
the Minnesota River is now yeah. still trickling through. But it took off 100 feet of overburden, three miles wide. So it's this whole little tunnel that it made. And the only reason that we can access the material is because that glacier took off that 100 feet of overburden, putting us within 6 to 16 feet of the material that we really need to get out for a decorative purpose. Wow. And before the glacier got here, there was an ocean here, right? Is there that was, where the sediment and the, I guess, uniform uniqueness of the color of the stone came from? Is from years, what would you say, something like 5,000 years per inch of stone it, it took to develop under the ocean? It did. So it's a sedimentary material. So really, it's the material made up of the bottom of the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. So 450 million years ago, when that material was forming, it was formed under heat and pressure from the sediment from the um, ocean floor. Yeah. And so it took anywhere from 2,500 years to 5,000 years to form each inch of stone. So when you look at a block that's maybe five feet tall, you think of how many years, years it took to form that. And then yeah. you look at the consistency and color from the top to the bottom, it's remarkable how uniform it is. And we don't really know of any other source anywhere in the world where you get this coloration in that kind of a consistent format from ledge to ledge. We have different ledges as we go through the 500 acres. Mm -hmm. So we buff colors, more kind of tan colors, um, light pinks, different variety of pinks. So as we move through the 500 acres, we get into different colors. And, and that was probably caused by different sediments, different heat, different pressure. Wow. Okay, so that was a lot. So <laughs> millions and millions of years ago, there was an ocean here, and the sediment of the ocean settled to the bottom, and over many, many years, that sediment developed into limestone, basically under the ocean due to the pressure and the temperature, and the sediment created a very unique you know, color, hardness, uh, today we call it limestone, and there's certain di different shades of color, right? Then the ocean dries up, and here comes a glacier. Plowed a tunnel through here, three miles wide, a hundred feet deep, and now you have easy, relatively easy access to that limestone. And then Grandpa comes rolling around, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's like, hey, look at this. I want to buy this place, right? So can you take me from there, Ron? Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. So I think where it really started is this material was heavily used for the railroads, mm -hmm. and they would buy it for the arch bridges. For the, If you look at the Stone Arch Bridge in Minneapolis, all that material would have come from these quarries as well. So it was really just very utilitarian, was not meant to be decorative, although they're beautiful structures, but was not really the intent. But when concrete was invented then basically all the quarries shut down because that's what they were living on. That's It wasn't used for houses. It wasn't really used for much other than the railroad um, use. Mm -hmm. So then the most of the quarries were shut down at that time, and then some really clever people started really you know doing more research, uncovering more quarries, more colors, and really realizing you can use this for houses, for foundations, and you can really use it for nice decorative purposes. Yeah. So was this quarry here before your... I mean, of course it was, but was the... Was it an active quarry before your grandfather purchased it? There was a really small active quarry right behind the plant. And my grandfather bought during the Depression just a little bit of property here, built a little cabin in 1932 that he used for a little hunting and fishing shack. And, and when you say little, it's little. It's little. It's, <laughs> it's very little. The inside little. is probably eight feet by eight feet with a little, um, the only heating unit is just a little fireplace in there. And so they use that for the office for three or four years when they started the operation. But my grandfather ran a cutstone shop all his life in Kosota, Minnesota, a small monument shop, had taken over his dad's job. 
And it was his idea that when he retired, if his boys, his four boys who were college age at the time, if they wanted to get in the business, that was his lifelong dream. And so literally took his life savings, went to his wife and said, you know, Ethel, I really want to start this company. And her only response was, and, and you know, he reminded her, this will take our everything we've ever worked for. This is, We're putting our life savings on the line. And her response was, Paul, if that's what you want to do, if that's your dream, that's exactly what we're doing. Oh, and so he had cool. an eighth, it was awesome, and had an eighth grade education, but very learned, very book smart. And there were four or five producers around at the time that were all large, and they came to him and they said, Paul, you know, we respect you, you've been in the business forever, and you're retiring now, and you'll literally lose everything. We're too big to compete against, don't do this. And with his eighth grade education, he just said, well, I think I can do it. He was super <laughs> customer service oriented. Every He reminded us during his lifetime, every customer you're dealing with at the moment is your most important customer. And that's your most important customer if they're getting a hearth or a mantle or if they're doing a skyscraper. So we really have built that into our sales reps and into our whole cultural team. That's what we're all about. That's what got us here. And that's what should keep us here. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story, man. So your your grandpa bought it when he was like, I think you said 61? 65. 65. And got your father involved in the business along with your father's siblings, mm-hmm. right? So there are four boys and my grandfather. Then it was passed off kind of to well, you bought them out, or how did that how did that transpire? You got siblings and you got uh, I met your brother over in the um, fabrication facility. Mm-hmm. So it's you and your brother, I know. And uh, how has that been? And what other siblings are involved in the business? So it's really been a transition. So when I first started working here 25 years ago, my father was the youngest of four boys, had bought out his last three brothers. They were all a few years older than him. And then he was hoping that his kids would want to get involved. He had six kids. So at one time, all of us worked here. All of us had ownership, along with my father. And so little by little, I had a sister that ran our plant operation who passed away six years ago. Um, have a couple of siblings that retired, some that just wanted to get out, um, but continue to still work here. And so now we're down to three siblings, myself, my brother, and a sister who works here part-time and um, is on the board, but doesn't have a leadership position. Mm-hmm. And then a year ago, hired an outside president to help us kind of get to the next generation. And and so that's a, you know, Ben is our first president in non-family president, non-family officer in 65 years. So there were three presidents, my grandfather, my father, and myself, and now Ben, who doesn't share a last name, which to me is super exciting to mm-hmm. have outside leadership coming in and I think can take us to places that we couldn't get if we didn't bring professional outside viewpoints in. All right, the attention's on you, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with me. I felt the same way you did when you walked into the fabrication facility for the first time. Yeah, it's overwhelming, yeah. isn't it? It was overwhelming, intervening with Ron and having him walk me through to try to get comfortable with, can I do this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. You know, one thing I noticed about you, Ben, that I appreciate is that as we walk through that facility and all these um, labor-type position fabrication mm-hmm. people are running around, yeah. You're saying hi to them, and you're like, hey, uh, so-and-so's been working with us for 20, 20, 20 what was it, 20, 40 years? 40 years, 40 years, right? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool to see a president of a company like this with the fancy office down, down the hallway, put on the hard hat, walk through the facility, know everybody by the first name, how long they've been working there, and so on. I guess it warms a special spot in my heart. I grew up in a blue-collar type family. And I appreciate that. And I'm sure 
people out there on the floor appreciate that too. And that's where you started, isn't it? Can you talk a little bit about yep, that? Yep. Ron hired me to, to take over for his sister, Ann. Um, for that. So I took over the fabrication shop and got to know the business that way. But from day one, that family business culture um, resonated and that's why I came on board. Yeah. I just had to make sure that I passed that through to our employees because they were the ones training me and when I got hired. Sure. Well, and your brother also. works here now too, right? Yeah. So my brother, brother Nick now, as Ron moved me into the president's role, took on a lot of the responsibilities, if not more than what I had at the time, too. So continuing the family yeah. dynamic has definitely continued and been very well. But we instill that through to all of our employees to make it sure like it's a family feel. Family comes first, and it's a hardworking culture that we have with everybody, and it's just been a great team to be a part of. Yeah, that's impressive, Ben. When mm-hmm. you, you start out there in the fabrication and uh, you worked your way up the ladder, took on more and more responsibilities, must have executed them perfectly. Isn't that right, Ron? He really did. It was it was really impressive to watch. And I knew early on when he was running that plant, and he came in on a really difficult time. My sister was kind of nearing the end of her, her battle with cancer mm-hmm. and was beloved in the plant. My brother had run the plant for years. My sister took it over, was really well-liked, very dynamic, very vivacious young lady. And, you know, really hard to finally, after a few months of her not being able to work, you know, needing to fill that role. So he stepped into something really hard, at least from a familial standpoint. Yeah. You know, my siblings are looking at me. It's like, wait, you're replacing that position? And 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 the employees, too. It was just a really hard transition for everybody because my sister was so well-respected and so liked. So yeah. he came in in very less than ideal situations. And I, I had very limited time. You know, he couldn't learn from the past. President, or well, the past plant manager. Oh, sure. So he really had to do a lot of it as on, on his own, and I think the employees really, really respected him. He came in in a great way, you know, just not arrogant. He's like, I have a lot to learn. You know, what can you teach me? And I think they saw early on that this was a very talented young man as well, and that they were going to be in really good hands under his leadership. Where'd you find him? Uh, he was working for a local company, ran a production part of a production plant. And lucky enough to have a conversation with his dad and, you know, said, boy, I'm really, you know, I'm kind of in a bind. I'm looking for a a production manager, not quite sure how to do it. And he said, well, I think you ought to talk to my son. So I I called Ben and that started everything. And it Mm -hmm. just, it, he's, he really gets the family feel. There's nothing that motivates me more if I'm in a grocery store and I see an employee with their kids and you see him with a two year old or a four year old. And it's like in my head. I'm thinking I'm working for those kids. It's our oh, job cool. to make sure that we're feeding them, that they have the clothes, that their parents can raise them how they want to. It's our job to work for them. And Ben very much got that when we were talking about that. Our sales reps are, are really told that often. It's like, you're not working for us. You're working for you know that guy or that, that lady's kids. They're little two and four and 10-year-olds and yeah. making sure they can go to college if they want to go to college. And, and so that's really... He really caught on to that part of the culture early on, and I just knew that we had something really special in him. And, and his brain power is amazing, and his people skills are incredible. We had a we had a client come in that is a billionaire, and they were doing a really nice house. And so within I don't know, he was probably here a few weeks, and I brought him in just to kind of see how comfortable he'd be. It was absolutely <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect, that. and it's like <laughs> I have absolutely yeah, nothing nervous. to to worry about, and I don't even need to be here. It's like he can he can handle all this. Uh-huh. So, wow. There you go. There you go, Ben. <laughs> I don't know about that. So, I was going to say, it sounds a little different from your point yeah. of view, but it sounds like you succeeded. I remember the meeting well, yeah. 
So what's what's your uh, background like, Ben? Where where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Did you go to college? Can you give me a, a quick summary on that? Yeah. So I'm uh, born and raised in Mankato. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Graduated from high school here and uh, went to the local university at MSU. Okay. My mom went there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So graduated from there in 2016. Okay. Um, and then from there, uh, took the first job and started working and worked my way up. It was at Taylor Corporation, one of their facilities, and I got a ton of great knowledge um, working for that organization, and that helped propel me into have, getting the opportunity to work for the Vetter family. Uh, what did you major in? Over at uh, uh, finance and management. Okay. And then also dabbled in some athletics and stuff there, managed some time, and also held a job at the same time, too. Okay. So a lot of time management skills were learned and okay. a lot of fun was had too. And I noticed some baseball bats in your office. Where, did you play baseball growing up? I did. Yeah. 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 A lot of baseball. Cool. And for college. And you played basketball for college. So oh. Oh. Yeah, he's being modest, huh? Very. Uh, <laughs> Very. Yeah, quite the athlete. Let's see. Who was who was the captain in high school of the baseball team, the football team, and the basketball team? <laughs> oh, that was Ben. One guess. That might have been Ben. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the things he won't tell you. I will. Ah. Gotcha. gotcha. Well, when we sat down, I noticed uh, there was a couple magazines on the coffee table here, one by the Smithsonian and the other by the Architectural Record. And uh, you guys have done some rather prestigious projects, not only locally, not only uh, across the country, but you guys are all over the world. They are worldwide. Yeah. Part of it, it must be because you have a very unique product that you sell with this limestone and the color of it and the and so on. But what do you else do you contribute that success to? Does it come back to your grandfather's importance on customer service and treating each customer uh, with utmost respect and doing what you say you're going to do? But I, 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 you know what I mean? Where Where is this success coming from, from the small town of Minnesota doing jobs in Japan, you know? <laughs> so it's really got to start with the material. It's really in the raw material, and there's no other material anywhere in the world or where we have access to the material than right here on our basically 750 contiguous acres. Yeah. And the material color changes a little bit, and they're all all earth tone colors, light grays, tans, creams, buffs, pinks, but very soothing colors. And what's unique about the material is not only the color, but the background activity where it's very creamy, very smooth, very tactile. So one thing that we really notice with our clients looking at the material is they don't only look at it, they touch it. And it's really important for them to feel it. And the one thing that we hear over and over is this material is so warm. And we just, we want it under our feet. We want it on our walls. It's just very calming, very soothing, not flashy, not shiny, but mm. just really classy and I think really calming. So a lot of corporate campuses have used the material and I think they want their people to feel really comfortable when they're there, come into work in your jeans and just have this really nice, warm kind of co- cocoon environment. Same thing on nice residential work. So it's really the combination of the color, but not just the color, but that background texture that just really makes you want to touch it. And then from there, we, you know, our customer service, we try to do a nice job for our customers, try to make sure that if we, if we work with an architectural firm or a builder once, that we get to work with them over and over. So we do have a lot of repeat business. We've, we've got a pretty good reputation in the industry. Um, really accurate with our material. We, we just simply do what we say we'll do. And do we always hit it? No. But the majority of the time, we, we hit the color range just right. 
we hit the the really tight parameters, especially for doing overseas work. Work in Japan has to be absolutely perfect. So we make sure that we have the right equipment for it. We have really up-to-date computerized equipment that helps it to be really accurate. A lot of quality control checks. My brother in Minnesota picks literally every block that goes into every job. And then he marks within there what the color range needs to be. And we're we're just continually measuring and watching that as we go through the plant. And it's mainly with the people's eyes. And we have samples all over. And just But watch that. We take it really seriously. We've got a, a great crew that just simply really cares. And I think a culture that just lends itself really well to doing a really high quality product. Interesting. Ben, you've been here for how long? Seven years? Seven years. And uh, what has uh, been some of the more interesting projects that you remember working on since being here? Anything stick out off the top of your head? could be the current one. I mean, there's a couple well, the very big, interesting ones going on right now. The project right? in Montana, that residence. Usually it's typically been the high-scale residences. Yeah. It's just being able to see the creativity that goes into your project is mm-hmm. what's so very cool. But Yeah, yeah. It, Big, big house in Montana, yep. right? Right. Yep. And then you got uh, a couple of things going on right now, I think, in Japan and yep. Africa. Is that right? Yeah, doing a really nice residence in Japan. And that's our first residence that we've done over there. Um, have done some commercial work, some really large commercial work in downtown um, Tokyo. But this is a, a beautiful home, kind of a Mediterranean-style home. Very... I wouldn't say ornate, but very complicated. A lot of curved features, a lot of things that had to line up absolutely perfectly. And so we're making sure that happens. The client is extremely happy with the material, loves the color range, loves the tactile feel of it. Have done a lot of really nice high-end homes throughout the country, throughout the world. And again, with people that just, they want that tactile, they want that warm, not flashy, shiny look. I'm doing a a project, large project right now in Africa. That's our first in Africa. Um, Mm -hmm. So loading the first container tomorrow of, of over a hundred containers. How exciting! And, yeah, I've done work in the Middle East, um, Istanbul, Budapest, um, but it goes around the world for a reason. And they just architects, homeowners, designers just really want that feel in their place. And, and we try to give it that personal attention. It's not uncommon to have a homeowner come in, or or where we'll go at, and watch, look at the finished product with them, and they'll just be they'll just be bawling. They're just so happy with the product. It gets really emotional. It's a very mm-hmm. emotional material for people, and it's mm-hmm. part of their part of their home, part of their vision of what they want that home to be like, what they want their home to feel like for their family. And when you nail it for them, and they're really happy with it, it's I, I've been amazed how many homeowners have been in tears just being so happy with the finished product or where they've come in the door. And it's like, we found it. We've been searching the world for the right material. We just found it. And they'll say that we just found it right when they walk in. It's like, mm-hmm. this is it. We found what we're using on our home. Yeah, it's very funny. emotional. Very, it's it's just, it. it's a very tactile material, very emotional material. Yeah, it looks soft. I, I get I get it when you say people want to touch it. You know, it's right. It, to look at it from a distance, you, you imagine putting your hand on it and it feeling kind of soft versus granite. Granite is very hard, cold appearance. This mm-hmm. is a more, much more warm, soft appearance. You know, yes. it is, and even marbles are, are really nice, but you generally don't touch them. So you're bringing that other element in, mm-hmm. and it doesn't often incite an emotional feeling to it. This always seems to get a level of emotion to it, and it looks really soft, but is very hard. So one of the few limestones that you can use on a skyscraper, very suitable for that. Pass any kind of structural test that you need for that. Mm-hmm. So very durable. You know, a lot of projects up since the 1800s that are are still performing really well. Wow. That's amazing. 1800s? Right. Mm-hmm. So you guys uh, do commercial, you, ins- you know, produce products for residential, 
exterior, interior, different climates, different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, when I think of a stone exterior, you know, what pops in my mind is like walking downtown Minneapolis or something and mm-hmm. you're coming across a, a, a tall, fancy building of some sort <laughs> that's covered in maybe like a, a dark granite, hot, polished yep. stone. You know what I'm yep, saying? Yeah. But this is not that. No, no. <laughs> it's a. It, it's it's different, but I think different in a good way. And it different pops. in a homey way. Yeah. 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 Do you have an equal mix between residential and commercial, or do you lean more heavily in the commercial side? And do you have a. Is most of your material installed on the exterior of buildings versus the interior? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it really varies year by year. If you get a large house, some of those large houses are almost like doing a commercial project and you run them more like a commercial project and they'll have a a contractor that maybe is more used to doing commercial because they're on a larger scale. We also do really small homes. We'll be happy to do a hearth and a mantle for a house or the entire house. So there isn't really, you know, every year is a really different year depending on if you've got a large commercial job or a large residential job. So it just, and it doesn't really look any different or feel any different to us other than there's usually more detail work on a residence and it's just a little more personal for that homeowner. But building's also very personal for the designers, for the architects, for the owners. It's very personal for you too. I can tell you truly love what you do. What do you love the most about what you do? Oh, what a hard question. I think probably... I just like the feel. I like the feel that we're small. That we got 130 employees between our two facilities. That we're really kind of a big family here for the most part. Yeah. And that we're just. I like the part. The what really motivates me is I'm working for somebody's kids down in the plant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the best part. And we're giving a really good long-term project. You know, when I product, when I go to look at the target field. You know, that's our building. Oh, look at my building. Yeah. And it's like, I probably shouldn't call it my building. It's not our building, but it really is our building. Same thing when you look at Young Quinlan Building or Wells Fargo Tower or any of the work that we do, whether it's big or small. We just, there's a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. And to know that we've done something that really probably makes people feel good, something that they're invited to, a place that they're invited to come into, and to be a part of that and to be a long term part of that, it's the tangible part is really nice to see. Yeah, the employees really enjoy seeing the end product. They take so much pride in seeing that and seeing what they worked on and the significance of the building. It just it resonates in Minnesota and in Alabama. Alabama did the Mobile Federal Courthouse a few years back. That was probably for me the job that I learned the most on, fabrication wise, and having to hit date after date after date and how fast masonry crews can install stone. Wow. If they really get hired up. So it was very challenging for us to meet those timelines and the whole plant rallied around each other. and You could just see the pride in people after they saw the, the stone up and how beautiful it was. And I would say if you asked any of those employees standing in front of that building, they would say, that's my building or that's our building. Mm-hmm. And I think they would take a lot of pride in that. And it's just kind of ours. It's forever ours a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's just owned by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, Target Field is awesome. You know, yeah, the next is. time I see it, man, I'm going to look at it in a different way because yeah, definitely. I, I've been <laughs> I've been at the source. I've been at the mother ground here, <laughs> right? And uh, the, this this building on the cover of the Smithsonian, yeah, uh, sounded really interesting. You rattled off a, a little bit before we started this recording about the, the complicated, unique aspects of this building. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where is this, and what was that project like? 
So the National Museum of the American Indian, the Smithsonian, it's right between air and space and the U.S. Capitol. So it's on a little kind of a triangular piece of, of land, really special piece of land That's on the so Smithsonian cool, Mall. knowing the history of this land, like right where we are. There's so much rich Native history in this land, and in the really, rock that went yeah. into that building. Absolutely, and really came into play in this. And what they wanted that building to look like was to emulate a cannon wall that was carved with wind and water over time. Oh, wow. So when the there were eight different architectural credits on that building, a lot of different people working on it. So we there was a lot of time spent on it, eight years before it was constructed. Had the architectural teams coming in here many times, looking at the right color, the right texture, the right color range, and really very personal to them, personal to us. But the, the building is completely curved, so there's 50 different radii, both concave and convex. When they first started talking about it, we didn't know if we could even split our material on a curve. Very was something we had never done. So my father went through, worked with machines, developed a machine where we proved to ourselves, it's like, okay, we can do this. But now we have to figure out how to do all these different radii. So really, I, I don't know if we could have gotten it through, through that job without his expertise on it, but it, it was a job with probably 175 loads of stone on it and not a single rejected piece of material. Went just perfect, great team to work with, incredible architects, incredible builders, but just very personal when they were trying to, you know, emulate this canyon wall. And, and you know, this is heavy-duty Indian country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they really liked that aspect of where the material was coming from as well. Yeah, that's impressive. What was your upbringing like, Ron? Have you always been in the business or... You know, after high school, did you go off to college and try something else for a while before coming on board? Yeah, absolutely. Last place I was ever going to work. My father worked (laughs) here. His brothers worked here. Had absolutely no need. So I went off to uh, I went to Minnesota State University to be an airline pilot. Oh, and you can see how well that worked. So sitting here did not really work well, but got a degree in aviation, got another degree in management, just kind of as a backup, and did work for um, Northwest Airlines for a number of years in their operation, um, leading part of the operation in Minneapolis, but not flying, which is a good thing for everybody. (laughs) And then I was hired away to run a little manufacturing company, and then eventually after that ended up here in a sales role. And my my uncle was still working here at the time. My dad was here. My dad had gotten a little smarter over time. Um, somehow I'd learned quite a bit in those years. So it um, was a little <laughs> easier to work with. And just was a, a nice environment to come into, but challenging. It was a, a really small company at the time, you know, not overly progressive. And just, you know, trying to fit into that with, you know, kind of fresh ideas coming from the outside. But we got a very formal employment policy now of how the next generation may get in, um, have to work somewhere else. First, hopefully in something related or similar that they can mm-hmm. bring back expertise. But otherwise, they just they need to work somewhere else before they can work here as a full-time. They can work part-time and in internships. But if it's going to be a real job, they have to go somewhere else first. Smart. Mm. Well, those headphones fit you nice, Ron. I could see you as a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> you want to give it a try? <laughs> well, take well, Melanie. Let me know how it goes. Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll see how brave you two are. <laughs> so what's the future like? We're talking about next generation. Are you... Uh, Looking at open up another plant somewhere. You know, you got one down in uh, Alabama. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yep, Russell, um, Alabama. Yeah. Are you expanding into any new territory, or what? What's your crystal ball showing you ten years from now? So I've probably never been more excited about our future, and a big part of that is having Ben on board. Ben is very analytical. He is a really good communicator, very direct. I'm very intuitive, and we're finding that we're really getting a good way to kind of blend those two together using my intuitive skills, using his data skills, and making really good decisions. So instead of kind of slower, steady growth, I think we'll see a really nice incline. And 
maybe it's through purchasing other quarries, starting other things. We're bringing in other lines now from Portugal, from India, um, working with other fabricators so we can have really broaden out our our horizons a little bit. Opening a showroom in the International Market Square next mm. week, and oh, that wow. will show materials from Portugal, materials from India, as well as our Minnesota stones, our Alabama stones. So really trying to be a place where where the answer is yes, what color do you want? What is your material choice, but strictly in, in soft materials and limestones, nothing with granite or anything like that. We, we know good granite companies we can refer people to. So we'll, we want growth through that and maybe through something totally unrelated. But I think Ben can help take us places that I never could have um, without somebody like him in his shoes. And I think we can just be explosive over the next few years. So I think we'll see some great growth and exactly where that is. We're mm-hmm. kind of making that up as we go, but step <laughs> at a time. That's awesome. Pressure's on, Ben. Yeah, I guess it is, right? <laughs> Big Boss is expecting great things from you, man. I am, but yeah. I've seen them so far. What I really liked about Ben is when he was in a vice president role, you know, I'd be out for a few days or come back or something, and he would make decisions, and he would do things that were really not quite under his mm-hmm. area. Authority he, yet? Yes. He yeah. took ownership. Yeah. For he definitely took ownership and made some pretty strategic choices, some some good choices. And during COVID, we wanted one of us to be out of the office, so I, I worked from home. So he really jumped in and started doing a lot of things that really weren't under his level of authority. And it's exactly what I did when I was younger, and it's the reason that I part of the reason mm-hmm. I got into the president's role. I was nice. the youngest of six kids, so to to be the boss of all my siblings one day was a, you know, there was a kind of a whole different story on <laughs> that and, and family businesses, but worked well. And that was that was my siblings' choice to to name me. But getting Ben in that role, I think, is just absolutely key for our future, the way that we work together and will bring us places that we just simply couldn't go. He's taking the horse by the reins, huh? Absolutely. Sounds like you have a really good balance of like the yin and the yang. You guys balance would, each oh, other yeah. out really yeah, well. We do. And last week, he bought a really nice piece of equipment from Italy. We had a tech here, and he said, so he sends me a text message, by the way, you know, I just bought this machine. And I, I just I looked at my phone, and I'm like, we had talked about it a little bit, but hadn't really said we were doing it. <laughs> And I just, I just absolutely beamed, and I showed somebody. It's like, look what he did. He made a decision on this. He made a great decision. It's like he didn't ask me. He just did it. This is spectacular. How do you get better than that? It's absolutely yeah. perfect. Part of the reason that he ended up in that role, and who knows what other surprises he might have for us. Natural yeah. born leader. Absolutely. <laughs> I bet that comes a lot from your uh, athletic background. You know, being the oh, captain yeah. and. And, and leading your team and uh, doing what you think is right in the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you think that athletics has carried you forward into this position a little bit? Oh, I absolutely. I think yeah. just learning what you need to do to lead a group of people, you have to make decisions. Yeah. You know, you're looking look at somebody to sit there and kind of ponder what you're going to do. You got to, at some point, you got to give people a vision and you got to act on it. So they see you doing that and they see you trying to move. The yeah. company forward, and it really just brings everybody together. They see reinvestments and what we're doing strategically within the quarry or the mm. plant operation, mm-hmm. um, or in a different region. Like the employees see that, yeah, you know, and they see what we're trying to do from a sales strategy side or portion of the business to grow. And when they see that, they all get they all get excited. Like, yeah. oh, that's what Inspired. you're doing to bring more yeah. work into the plant. These types of things, and to continue to move the business forward, like it just, it's yeah. just it makes it more fun too. Yeah. For sure. Now, you said you're bringing in other lines from Portugal and India, I believe you said. What does that mean, you're bringing in a line? I mean, m- my simple mind thinks, oh, they're shipping in t- you know, tile or something from India and then selling it over here. What does that mean to bring in other lines? So everything we really do is fabricated very custom. So an architect designs it, 
we make it right per their specs. So we don't have tile sitting around. We don't have other materials sitting around mm-hmm. other than a little bit of landscape material. But so we make everything right to specification. So sometimes if we don't have a color that's light enough, and or we don't have a color that's dark enough. We have all kind of the middle of the road colors. We have the yeah. nice light gray colors. But if we have something that really doesn't fit their vision and they're kind of, and you know, we do a lot of listening and a designer, an architect, a homeowner, it's like, well, we kind of were thinking of this and they'll, they'll try to give you descriptions of what they wanted for color. So we're trying to give them more choices that they can see, especially in the Minneapolis showroom of that's what I had in mind. And we've teamed up with a really good fabricator in, Portugal, they're very well proven, have spent time over there. So we know that if we have them do the cutting, it'll be perfect. If they want us to do the cutting, we can bring raw material over here and do cutting as well. But trying to to have the answer be yes, um, a lot more than no. Gotcha. So we just we want to have anything in that color range. So we just we want to broaden out the color range a little bit to the lighter side, a little bit to the darker side. Okay. Well, did I cover everything, Melanie? I think so. Do you I guys want to mention more. anything that I didn't bring up? Not that I can think of. The crickets say right. I covered everything. <laughs> you did. No, I think you've done a nice job. You know what you saw here? We basically duplicated in Alabama, and that material is used heavily in the East Coast. We've done the Alabama is a whiter, lighter gray color material, so it's mm-hmm. on Orchestra Hall downtown Minneapolis, Mayo Clinic East, the FBI headquarters up on just north of six ninety four. Um, the new Thriven headquarters. So we're bringing a lot more of that into the Midwest as well, but still fits in. It still really fits in kind of from a cultural standpoint in downtown Minneapolis with that mm-hmm. feel of a softer limestone. Still just kind of continues that image, but it's something a little different than the Minnesota stone that's been used a lot. And we're still seeing a lot of a lot more Minnesota stone used in the Twin Cities area, but seeing more of that introduced. And that's what we want to be able to do is, is just have more offerings in the limestone field for people that want to do something a little bit different. But still have it fit in. Still have it fit in with the cultural expectations. Yeah. That's impressive, man. So let's bring this home. Listeners, if you want to check out a unique, impressive Minnesota-made company, you got to check out Vetterstone. For sure. (laughs) These guys got it going on. And if you're lucky enough to go on a tour with my friend Ben over here, (laughs) and you you enter that uh, fabrication facility and you take a right, your jaw will drop, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's their website, vetterstone.com. That's spelled V-E-T-T-E-R stone.com. This looks like a general office phone number. If you want to call them, 507-345-4568. And I guess a good customer for you, Ron, would be, it can range from the homeowner that wants to do some nice uh, stonework on the outside of their home or put in a mantle above the fireplace to if you're Donald Trump and you own some skyscrapers and (laughs) (laughs) you want to cover your skyscraper with some very nice limestone, you're all over the board. You can do it all. We can do it all. We're happy to do it all. We like doing the big jobs. We love doing the small jobs. If somebody wants us included in their project, whether it's their house or something else, we want to be included in that project. And we want to make it absolutely perfect and fit their vision. Got it. Mm, I love that. Well, I appreciate your time, Ron and Ben. You guys did a great job. This is a great podcast. You got something uh, exciting going on here. And uh, I'm expecting some wonderful things out of you. Yeah, especially you, Ben. To come, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ben. Pressure's on, man. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> all eyes on you, Ben. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for coming down. Thank you for being here. 
That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota.